Episode Unlucky 13 of Anime for Trash Dwellers. And this week we are talking about Token Runbu Hanamaru, aka Swords as Cute Bishis. I wasn't sure if this would be a good series for the podcast because I thought maybe it would be too history heavy of a series. And then the cutesy pop song opening plays with two of the boys dancing and I'm like, no, no, this series will be fine. General synopsis is, it's the future. And old samurai swords are getting turned into humans in order to fight the history renegade army. The evil demon things who go back to historic events and try to change the outcome of them. It opens with a dual sword being summoned into what's called the Citadel, which is where all the swords live. And it's basically just like a yoldic Japanese palace with the only mon technology around being the time machine that's a big gold compass. Like, these swords finally get human forms and can live in much more advanced modern times, but no. They just end up locked up in a commune like they're part of a cult or something. We get introduced to, like, every fucking character this episode, and it was really hard keeping track of all of them. Date Masamune's sword's there, and he said he's good at chopping veggies because Masamune liked cooking. Not sure if he's implying that Masamune would chop veggies with him or not, aka his blood-soaked sword, because if that were the case, all these guests die in a bloody hip B or some shit. This intense mullet guy's like, fuck yeah, guns! Then there's one sword with pink hair who's like, man, I've just had so many owners, what does it matter? Like, it's okay, slut. Being used and abused by multiple men sucks. Out of the stables, a longsword catches some flying horse shit, because he didn't realise it was horse shit. Look, honestly, I don't know what else he thought those brown balls were. So there's the one super tight sword, the sword sword, if you will, who's getting mad at everyone for having too much fun in the snow when they should be on standby for whenever their master needs them, because that is a sword's duty. So he has the roll call for the latest mission that the new gacha game master has made up because she's only given six card slots per mission. Longsword is picked but he's too busy cleaning his entire body in the onsen that was contaminated via the horse shit. Like sure it only touched his hands but the grossness probably spread elsewhere. When Longsword goes to get out of the onsen, Tadas chan like, oh no just, just wait until I leave. What kind of man are you if you can't casually see your bros naked in the onsen? A weak one is what? And Dada's chan is devastated that his name is not called. Unlike the other jewel sword who, when he gets picked, just keeps looking at his fingernails not giving a shit. So both the jewel swords are picked, and the bluer and newer one of the two is a bit worried since it's his first human form battle, and it's his first one since being resurrected, and fucking Red Cunt over here painting his nails like fuck, he doesn't care what his partner's going through, bitch needs to toughen the fuck up. So they go fight the battle at an inn and ultimately lose, the only consequence being that the history restoration army might come back and attack it again as opposed to the course of history is completely changed and they no longer exist as a result. Longsword got injured because he's too long for rooms. He got stuck in a wall and had his ankles nibbled by mini monsters. Red Sword gives Blue Sword a little frilly sakura clip, which Blue Chum puts in his hair then looks at his reflection like, "Ooh, aren't I a pretty boy? 
Episode 2! We see a new sword get resurrected through placing a talisman on it. When Tardashan introduces the two new sword people, he tells everyone to be nice to the new kids. The dual swords go show the new guys around. This one guy is hand washing some clothing, sees another guy's dirty robe, and now he has an intense urge to wash it? Oh my god, no! Why would you want to hand wash something? That's like another good 10 minutes worth of labour there. And I guess that living in their little samurai village makes them feel more at home and stuff. But why would you deny them the wonders of modern conveniences like washing machines? Fucking, this is set in like 2,225 or some shit. Fuck, the washing machines available, they must be amazing. One of the new swords all dressed in black is still in the sword sword phase. Like, all he ever talks about is getting to fight and training. He goes to annihilate the shoulders that are currently training. Like, can't you are twice their size. Calm down, please. Then he is confronted with Otome game designs. He thought a character was a girl, but then realizes they're a boy. And is very confused. Meanwhile, said sort like, um, my gender really isn't that big a deal, mister. Then they go along to the stables, and Longsword's there looking after the horses. And the new sword all in white, white, white says, Yeah, you were made for healing. Actually, he's a sword. So if anything, he was made for the exact opposite of healing. During the little tour, Blue Sword suggests they go meet the master. And Red Sword like, Oh, no, 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 we can't do that because, oh, uh, because, oh, uh, excuse. Masamune swords back and he's cooking and he's like, yeah, it's great that I got to do something apart from being a sword. Like he's a retired businessman who has a small business in making tomato chutney or some shit. Then it's the whitey sword and all of Oda's past swords running a fucking therapy session. Tidas Chai mentions how he was embarrassed and traumatized when he was used to slice down a small defenseless child who brought Oda out the wrong team, as opposed to something more cool like kill a fierce warrior in battle or some shit. Now, the poor used and abused sword from last debt brings up his sad past, how he was a gift to Oda, and even though he is a sword and made for slicing soldiers and shit, he was very rarely used in battle. Oh my god, just like a housewife who was forced to quit her job after marriage. And then he mentions that Oda even branded him. And at the mention of that, his hand hovers over his peck like, Oh no, he got the titty tat. Then the master decides in order to help all these swords with their PTSD, they're fighting the History Restoration Army just before Oda's death. And we get to see that titty tat out in all its glory. Like, hey, it is real. Then they all watch Oda burn away, away with their nightmares and trauma about him. When the swords are dressed for battle, they're generally in like proper, though slightly animified samurai gear. Except this one guy who comes to the fight in a pair of booty shorts. Episode 3, I only just realised that the opening describes that it's the future, that their swords fighting the history restoration army, yada yada yada, and then it just ends with a different sword on the roof each time, this time mullet cunt, and he's like, yeah, that's enough of that boring garbage. And in today's episode, there's no war. In pure Moe style, there is no fighting, and they're all just dicking around. So... This small child finds a four-leaf clover, thank god it isn't a black one, and he wants to give it to a recently awakened sword. So, guy in all black dropped a dumbbell on his foot. 
because this citadel is modern enough for dumbbells but not modern enough for shoes. Small child gives him the clover for good luck. But Black, Lo- but Black Robes guy is worried. He says, your arms are too weak. Like, to like a 10-year-old child. Fucking, he gives that kid a dumbbell so he can start lifting. Small child ends up giving the dumbbell to the washing guy from before. He has purple hair. But this time he's doing massive calligraphy with the door open because it helps him to experience the seasons better. I mean, there's only one season happening at the moment, but whatever. Small child gives him the dumbbell to hold down the, his paper. And also during this scene, a whole bunch of tiger cubs come running along because one of these little sword boys reckons he's the future tiger king or something. He gets from calligraphy washing purple haired man. There are so many of these very, very, very similar sword people around. I need as much detail as I can get to remember slash distinguish them. A book of human anatomy, because I guess the kind of person who needs the wind blowing when he's doing calligraphy and who actively enjoys washing isn't the type of person to be interested in scientific literature. This kid feels like he's about to throw up at the mere sight of this thing. I'm sorry, you used to slice and dice people up and literally have bits of intestines on you. This shit should be nothing. This dog guy comes along and just forces some shitty cough medicine he's made onto this kid in order to get that book. I like how mum medicine isn't getting in the way of this guy's old archaic hobbies. But fortunately, the kid finds a use for it via a fellow dying sword. Except that he wasn't dying, he just had a fucking jackhammer to the head hangover. In exchange for saving his headache, he gives the small child some fabric, which he got as a gift but didn't want because, oh honey, that blue does not go with my eyes. Small child walks around with it until, oh no, some guy with a long purple ponytail whines, I'm cold. So there's that gift, but in exchange he gets an age-appropriate gift of a body pillow with no cute anime girl on it. If this cunt was cold... Why wasn't he just hugging the body pillow in the first place? He runs into a small child who looks like those kids that are raised by wolves and this kid jittering around like he's got ADHD cause man, he really wants that body pillow to help him with his separation anxiety from our old depressed slut sword who in thanks for helping the feral kid gives small child a key to something fun. Something fun, in his opinion, is apparently a very tiny, very trendy looking harvester. Usually harvesters are pretty big. This kind ain't gonna do shit. Well, this small tractor thing has answered the question of why the Citadel doesn't have more modern things around. Because against the traditional backdrop and people in traditional gear, it looks awkward as fuck. So he gives it to the samurai out in the fields complaining about how tedious this is and that surely in the 800 plus or so years that have passed since he was living life as a sword, surely there's been an invention that makes his task easier. I now know that this samurai is from Nagasaki because in exchange for the tractor's key, he gives the kid some castella cake, which he just had on his sweaty person while working out in the dirty fields. Yum! And this is the perfect gift for the newly awakened sword for he is sitting there having a cuppa. The end. Second half of the episode, Tidas chan says to the dual swords, What is this tree? Because there is so fucking little to do around the citadel that for something to do, he debates the existence of a tree. 
A whole group of them are trying to figure out if whether or not this tree is a sakura or not. My good old friend, the worn out depressed slut, reckoning if it's a sakura, there'll be dead bodies underneath it. And everyone else is like, where to go to make everything weird and creepy? So Blue Zorboy Boy is genius and gets them to write lots of prayer slips wishing it to be a sakura. But they're all pink to DIY their own. In another life, you could have been a crafts YouTuber. But then hooray, it does bud flowers because it's a special type of sakura that only blooms once every 10,000 years. I mean, it sounds phony, but in a world of talking swords, who am I to judge? Episode 4. So, the dual swords aren't the dual swords. They were two separate swords owned by the same guy, Okita. Looked him up, he was the head of the Shinsengumi, considered one of the best swordsmen of the era. And I knew I must have hit the right guy because the search also showed his cute little blonde haired chick fate equivalent. Thanks, fate! So, because of this, they act like Okita's insecure wives and the blue one keeps overthinking why Red Sword was picked over him for certain battles. Tidas trying to inform some rando that the master of the Citadel does not leave their room. This tells us that there are more of these sword establishments and that it's only this one that gets all the cool historically relevant ones whilst all the other citadels just have fucking random peasant swords. You think if this citadel was so important they wouldn't give it to a fucking hikikomori. Then there's a bit of wordplay humour how stay at home in Japanese sounds like the Japanese word for chubby. But technically if this master doesn't leave their room then yeah it could yeah, they could be a bit of a chubber. Since his master doesn't leave their room, they have to leave important jobs to whoever's acting as secretary for the day. And it's his rando's turn. So Titus Chung gives him a little talisman and says, Now, this is embedded with the master's power, so that you can use their powers for this important task. With all of this information on hand, I assume this kid would be leaving the Citadel possibly fighting the History Restoration Army, going into town for maybe political type work. But no, this kid stays in the Citadel and all he does is walk to another room and awaken another sword. Like, this master is such a lazy fucking piece of shit. They can't even leave their room for another room on the property and then perform a task that requires no physical labour and takes mere seconds to perform. A fairly hot bishy samurai pops out and he introduces himself as being cool and pretty popular recently. Is this back when you were a sword in like the 1800s or in like 2200? Because I don't know how you'd know if you were popular in 2200 if you'd just been living in like a museum or storage shed somewhere. He meets up with the red and blue sword and he says how they've been awakened to save history. Well, I mean, you stop history from changing. Like, I haven't seen any of your missions to assassinate baby Hitler, nor have I seen you actually t saving people when you go back in time. You just fight off smoky time-traveling monsters. So Bishu's sword decides to duel with another sword. And they're fighting one another with actual swords, even though they themselves are swords. When you think about it, that'd be the equivalent of us fighting one another with humans. 
but like small humans, like babies. We're just whacking one another with babies. That's so fucked. The next half of this app, they're having a little picnic under the sakura, and there's this one guy complaining that he's allowed to be drunk, so what's the problem? Well, the problem is you're a fucking sloppy, embarrassing drunk who's ruining the sakura viewing party. But then terror strikes. Since 30 plus or so men have been living in this citadel for quite a while, they have run out of booze. So they do the only thing they can. They send the children off to buy the booze. The kids even go up to the master, the consenting guardian of the swords if you will, who just gives them money and lets them go on their merry way. So, the sign says it's the general store, even though from every shot we see inside the building it looks more like a cheapo store. Apparently after 200 years, cheap trinkets do not advance at all. So the kids rightfully do not buy alcohol, instead they buy dungo and a whole bunch of useless cheap shit they don't need, Masamune's sword being very impressed with their knick-knacky Osaka flag. So another group head off, then return and tell the soppy drunk, we didn't get you booze, we got you something much better. Surprisingly enough, our sloppy drunk doesn't seem to prefer the little bag toy that laughs when you squeeze it over the fucking alcoholic beverage that helps hide his painful memories of hacking off people's limbs and shit. Mullet guy and the other alcoholic that wears the white hooded cloak end up buying clothes and a camera because they kept fucking playing with them in the shop and the owner probably forced them to purchase them as a result. Masamune eventually heads off with someone and they're impressed with the training glasses for practicing fighting at night and bring back the entire cheap sunnies display. Dear Jesus. It's so that everyone can train because I'm sure the sunglasses wing go flying off whilst you were sword fighting. It is only after this many people have headed off that the sloppy alcoholic realizes he will just have to go himself and can't just fucking drink in it straight off the shelves. He eventually comes back and introduces himself to the new sword, and everyone's like, ew, you're so seedy and your breath stinks. Okay, I can confirm that every ending song is different, and sung by different swords. And each one is a generic pop song with a couple of Japanese instruments played in it, and they have epic panning shots of massive 3D swords, like... If you have ever loved that one traditional Japanese song in an idol show, you are in heaven. Episode 5. Red Sword they're doing his nails, then he asks his boyfriend what he thinks, and he offhandly says, yeah, they're cute, and that was not the right response. Red Sword wanted him to point out specifically what was different about them, and Blue Sword having a high level of skills in bullshitting your way through a relationship, guesses what could honestly be the only thing different with nail polish, which is the colour. Which it was, so red sword all happy. If it is a different colour, it's just a different shade, because they're still red. But red sword drops a bit of foreshadowing, saying, well, the master's gonna like me more and keep me around if I'm cute. Oh dear, the swords indeed are facing a dilemma. It's raining, so the washing won't dry in time. Okay. In 200 years, 
surely dryers are more affordable and chew through less electricity. This is on your master for being a cheapskate. But it is nice to see anime deal with dilemmas that I can actually relate to. So, they have to borrow other people's clothing, including a bunch of too tight tacky t-shirts and some too big robe from the longsword, because as he puts it, I have a pretty big figure. Yeah, big figure, big anyway. He ain't the longsword for nothing. Eventually, the Pebblehead calligraphy guy gets everyone out suits. I think it was one of the other swords he had all the suits, but yeah. There's a wardrobe with like six different suits in it, because the Ryers couldn't think of a smoother way of introducing special limited edition gacha card sets. When the calligraphy guy has a look at them all, he says, Ah, we all look like we work in a restaurant. And everyone, including me, is like, huh? Then he basically explains that the master gave him a magazine with an article on hosts. Okay, so at least we now know for sure that the master's a girl. But she is also introducing swords to her trashy mags to get them to be more moe. That's... Kinda dodgy. But she does have three men living here, so it figures. Masabune sees them, and when they bring up the host, he mentioned that there's a new sword that's arrived, and it's had trouble fitting in. But he and the other swords reckon a host club will be perfect for him. The calligraphy guy in his magazine reading completely missing the point of host clubs, and that under special circumstances they can be prostitutes. So, when entertaining the new awkward sword, the calligraphy guy does this thing where he puts a flower pot on the table and says, Imagine an elegant flower. And yeah, I'm not sure what that's about either, but it doesn't matter. All that matters is that it caused calligraphy guy to get all flustered and embarrassed and blushy and really, that's all we're here for. Eventually, the talking fox goes up to the sad sword. Yes, there's a talking fox in this show. And yes, it is really cute. And would you look at that, the quiet awkward guy who wasn't opening up to anyone really likes the fox. Then Masamune's sword comes along and they both talk about their sweet memories with Masamune. Because apparently he didn't leave them with severe PTSD like Oda did his swords. Next half and ooh, there's a new sword in town. Taidashan informs someone, thank god because otherwise I'd have no idea, that this new sword is a rare McRare Mr. Five Great Swords guy. Look. I obviously don't have a full understanding of who this sword is, but I got the bare minimum. You can also tell he's special because he has moon irises. Ooh, pretty. And Red Sword informs us that, oh no, he's an SSA card. He may replace him in the card lineup. Oh, it's the foreshadowing. Already. Wow. Seems much less impressive that he only foreshadowed to the second half of the episode, but whatever. Now that we also know the master Sumfujoshi, he's right. He probably does have to stay cute in order to stay in her favour. The Fujoshi master releases a new battle lineup, which is Mr. SSA as the captain and Red Sword stressing, Oh no, usually I'm the captain. Red Boy as the second in command and he like, Oh no, that's like the side captain or the captain's helper. This is awful. And then when the other ones they pick is the future Tiger King in the making that plays with all the Tiger Cubs. So Red Sword realises that this is a ploy to help level up Mr. SSA so that he can replace him as captain. And to help level up Tiger King because he's a little shit card. 
Now, during their fight, Mr. SSA, who we had a full glamour shot of before battle in his full body bulky armour set, he has somehow managed to rip the plates of his armour from his body because, baby, he's going into this battle shirtless, fucking taking out the Eminem, fucking taking out the enemy whilst looking fly at the same time. After they return from battle, Mr. SSA like, oh, the master wanted me to go with you to see how you fight. Yeah, like, like, fuck off it was. I'm a massive fucking creep. I've played gacha games before. I know how these mechanics work. Also, somewhere in this ep, there was a scene of some hot sword boyos in the hot spring. Because I guess they don't rust over in human form. Episode 6, so our two main sword boyos are off to have a bit of a snoop around the Edo era. No fighting or anything, just snooping. Looking out for any historical restoration armies, I think. But before they head off, they hear the bad news, which is that the master is sick. Oh dear, oh no. Taidas Chan is talking about how they got sick because they've been working too hard. But also mentions that they're sick because they never leave their room. And like, buddy, it is one of these options. And we are all aware of which option it is. Akita swords are talking to the medieval doctor guy who suggests these berries to help the master. Instead of any of the far superior modern medicines that must surely exist in the year of 2200. Since his doc is so behind on the times, he's like, yes, it's only available in the Edo era. And hey, them sawbirds are going there later. Now isn't that convenient? Taidas Chan and Masamune's swords brainstorm to cook udon. Because it's easier for sick people to eat because they can just slurp the whole thing up if they don't have the strength to eat it. What a lovely thing to visualize. Masamune offers to cook it because like, He's the Guy Fieri of the group. But Tadas Chan says, no, it must be me who cooks it. Because it's my fault the master is sick. I'm pretty sure it's her own fault for being a Hikikomori. Like, calm down. And then Tadas Chan does something that I wasn't expecting to happen in this show, but I probably should have been. He starts singing. We even get a cute pink flower border on the screen to let you know that yes, it is that segment of the show. This goes on for at least five minutes, and though they're not terrible singers, it's kind of evident that they aren't trained singers either. And the song they sing is basically the same line of tune over and over and over again. Masamune joins in, a couple of other swords enter singing, and thus, through the power of song, Taidas Chan is able to cook some delicious udon. So now we're on to the group traveling to Edo. It also includes the mullet guy and three new swords. How many fucking swords are in this series? Red Sword explains the whole situation with their master being sick and having to grab berries to make them better and mullet guy's like, well, fuck the investigation. We gotta spend all our time and effort looking for those berries. Even though investigating was the whole reason they came here. Blue Sword and Mullet Man come across a bear, and Mullet Man's like, now don't pull your sword out, and Blue Sword's like, I am a literal fucking sword, this is how I solve problems. But then Mullet Man somehow manages to get the bear to leave them alone. Okay, bringing old famous swords back into human form and then sending them back in time to fight history changing monsters, I can believe that. 
but a sword getting a bear to leave them alone? Now that's just a little bit ridiculous. The one child they brought along with them makes a joke about the stock market. Like, yeah, I don't know why a sword is talking about economics either. And when he does, turnips appear. Because the Japanese word for turnip and stock market are pronounced the same. Kabu. Not because of Animal Crossing. Though that is probably the reason why the turnip joke is in Animal Crossing. But it's not the reason why turnips appear in this show. Um, they find said berries, go back, I guess. Everyone's visiting the master in order to make them feel better and potentially end up spreading future COVID to the entire citadel. This includes our longsword boyo, who performs a ritual, cause yes, having some fucking smoke in a room will really help with the master's flu. On their way up to the master's room, there's a poster for a summer trip. Oh my god, foreshadowing for the beach episode! But then the next fucking scene is just straight old setup for the beach episode. The master sewed them all swimming trunks. What a sign of love. But, Tidice Chan specifically mentions that they have no money because of everyone going to the convenience store a couple of eps ago. So there is one loincloth someone has to wear. Look. In a show about swords who all dress as samurai, I'm a bit disappointed that there's only one loincloth instead of keeping it in theme and having loincloths for all the swords who look and act 18 plus in human form. I wonder if the point of letting us know the beach app is next is because they're struggling for viewership, so they gotta let them know that beach app is coming up to keep them pervs interested. Somewhere in this ep, I'm pretty sure the Red Sword suggested that grabbing them berries and making the master better and shit would be alright, because Mullet Man was coming to Edo and he has a gun! Yes! Because nothing solves problems quite as well as a lethal weapon. See, before I watched this, I watched the Oh my god, all these warlords are now cute doggo show, where they constantly riff on Bishiified Edo stuff, and pretty much everything they commented on is very real in this show. Episode 7 Depressed Sword Lady, Little Scruffy Feral Sword, and then some long white haired cunt are all staring at a single flower in a vase. And the white-haired fella said, I want to imprint its image on my mind. And I mean, hey, if all you've looked at during your existence is your scabbard and people's blood and guts, then yeah, a single flower probably would seem pretty appealing to look at. And yes, this episode is indeed the beach episode. And who goes to the beach but all the shoulders? Are you fucking kidding me? All fucking like eight to ten of them go. What a Waste. I mean, we do get the mullet guy wearing a loincloth, showing off his muscular ass and back, but I could have had all the shirtless bishies, but no. Let's just take all the children down to the beach since they enjoy it more or some shit. Before they headed off, the doctor was training them and minding them and shit, and I only just noticed that he wears a lab coat. Because if you're working with chemicals like he does, you need protection. But then he wears little grey shorts. His thighs are just there practically screaming, SPILL ACID ON ME! As they head off, bloody Tiger King in the making asks if their master, who doesn't even leave their room to go to another room in the Citadel, was going to go to the beach with them. So they're all having fun at the beach, not rusting up or anything. 
Since depressed Lady Sword is a domestic abuse survivor who was stuck in a single cage for most of her existence, the beach is a big, big step, so no swimming for them. One of the feral kids is there eating urchins? Ugh, this is why you shouldn't have taken the kids along. Okita's swords are there? Okay, so it wasn't fully kids. Red sword fucking slip slop slapping sunglasses and shading like the sun smart kitty is. They're on floaties and Red Sword's sunscreen falls in the water and he's like, Bluey, get it for me. I'm too pathetic. It's what Akita would do. And Blue Sword does not give a fuck about what Akita would have done in this situation and dumps that bitch in the ocean. And they come back from the sea and all the shoulders reminisce about their older brother sword who isn't back yet. Well, their other older brother sword since the doctors, there are other... Older brother. And who gets awakened but this fella? And he says to the doc, it's okay. He doesn't have to look after their little brothers anymore. And the doc just breaks down in tears. Thank you. Thank you for relieving me of them. I am a man of science. I shouldn't be babysitting little shit. Everyone is so happy that the ultimate Nissan has returned, they decide to celebrate. And Blue Sword has the perfect idea from a magazine that Master lent them. For them to be AKB48! Girlchan is the only sword feeling particularly inspired by this. So the ending song is their AKB inspired unit and song. But it still has Japanese instruments playing in it because that gimmick isn't ending anytime soon. The ending shot is all the Shota bowing before their ultimate Nissan. And then the blue sword wakes up from a nightmare and the red sword's like, was it your PTSD again? And he like, no, it was sword 48. I may just be a little disappointed that sword 48 is technically not canon. Episode 8. All the spears are back together again. I guess because they get to be counted as swords too. The red spear ran to Tiger King and one of his little tiger cubs goes over to the blue spear and he like, ew, tiger, and Tiger King has to take him away. Then blue spear confesses that he gets slight PTSD whenever he's near tigers because his master had a bad encounter with one one time. In order to make it up to Tiger King, Blue Spear proposes catching a bluebird for him like the one he was reading about in his picture book. So during this scene and all the other silly scenes in this show, the background music that plays whenever Reagan's being dodgy and Mob Psycho 100 plays. And I briefly get tricked into thinking that I'm watching a show that's actually decent and has some substance to it. When he asks the Green Spear for help, boy like, I am a spear. The only thing I am good at is stabbing. This is a point that I feel many other swords in this series have yet to grasp, especially them peacekeeping hypocrites. This bluebird, by the way, is the derpiest little fucker, and the three spears basically end up on one another's shoulders in order to chase after this bird. Green spear complaining, hey, why am I the bottom? Haha, <laughs> that's funny because it means he takes dick up the ass. They run into Akita's swords at the stables, and they startle the horse there so much it picks Red Sword up in his mouth and fucking chucks him into the sky. I mean, I can understand horses nipping people when they're mad, but chucking them? Greenspeard's carrying this pole whilst running. Don't know why, he just is. And fucking tight-ass chan bloody ninja jumps away from that shit. Fucking this cunt too slick for your slapstick comedy. 
But then he falls out of the tree he landed in, so I guess slapstick comedy had the last laugh. So they don't catch the derpy burb, they just give this kid a single feather from it. Which is like planning on buying your kid the entire Full Metal Alchemist DVD collection, but in the end only getting them the pathetic hell that is the OVA DVD. It features CGI Alphonse thrusting, that is all you need to know. Now this kid gives him this little papuri pouch and says, It's all the rage here at the moment. And I'm like, oh, so that's how cults have trends and popular things. Okay. Next half of the ep, the fucking million or whatever shoulders are sleeping, and one of them sees a ghost! And there's only one sword for the job of ghostbusting, and that's the sword famously known for cutting and killing a ghost. Wow. Imagine being sharp enough to cut through absolutely nothing. Wow. Fucking, who knew how weird Japanese history was at times? So Ghostbuster joins up and they decide to be a Ghostbusting Sentai team. But they don't even wear cute outfits. Like, what is the point? And there were two pink rangers, which goes against Sentai lore, but whatever. So our Ghostbuster discovers that, gee whiz, a small citadel with like 30 residents tends to get very noisy at night time. Black Cloth Sword Sword there, doing pull-ups because he couldn't sleep. I'm sure there's nothing better to help with insomnia than waking yourself the fuck up through exercise. Remember that purple-haired guy that really liked washing sheets? Well, he likes it so much he's there washing them at like 3 o'clock in the morning. It's because the white cloak that one guy wears that's basically his security blanket, so he can't wash it during the day. But if he knew he washed it, he'd be mad, so he only washes it a little bit. Like, he is getting so anal about washing this blanket, he must be in domestic heaven. The alcoholics are making himself some snacks, and when he goes to leave, he says, Oh, I'll clean it up later. Like, oh my god, cunt, no you won't. Sober cunt is not going to hold himself responsible for the excessive shit drunk cunt got up to. Every time someone calls Ghostbuster over to look at a ghost, his face just fucking says, Which dickhead is it this time? One team decided to catch one, and instead caught the feral child and his long white-haired minder. White-haired guy just like, nah, leave me here, cause the kid's asleep and I mean, yeah, if a child is finally asleep, you don't want to wake the little fucker up and have him screaming in the dead of the morning. When Ghostbusters canning off all the little shoulders, there's one extra, oh, why do they have to actually be a ghost in this episode? I mean, this is a show whose whole premise is, look at these swords being hot bishies. So it's not exactly aiming for realism here, but still. Episode 9. There's another sword with long white hair. There's at least three of them. It's very confusing. But this one says that the master said his hair was nice and gave him a comb. I'm not sure if it was like that cutesy and nice girl supporting one another. Oh my god, your hair is so cute. Or if she was being your seedy pimp like, Hey boy, really like that hair of yours. Whilst running her fingers through it and giving it a big sniff. This little blondie sword is introduced as a lighter sword so that his elderly owner could hold him. Aww, I'm so glad there are assistant devices available so that even the elderly can get involved in murderous rampages and death battles. Because of this, this sword feels his calling in life is to support the elderly. Like if that were the case, you should be working in an underfunded future nursing homes or some shit. So he wants to be a good carer to the SSA sword because he an old sword. 
I think he's from earlier on in history than all the others, but I can't remember from when he was introduced. Because this anime will give quick little intros and then move on because it's aimed at Japanese youth who are very familiar with all these historical events surrounding these swords. Instead of white people whose entire knowledge of Japanese history is based off of anime they watch. Which in my case makes it bar none. Oh thank god for- Oh my god the warlords are now cute little doggos show. Otherwise I'd be even more lost. Then this one sword I have somehow not mentioned yet, the cool silent mask guy who carries the little Fox Max Scott character around, gives the SSA sword some nice tofu. And little old people are the best Patrick feels threatened and he realises he's got to step up his sucking up to the elderly game. He decides to do this via becoming so fucking cool, SSA card will be forced to be impressed. He enlists the help from people including the little girly one, cause he has a magazine with trendy phrases for him to use to look cool. These are all Freya circa 2015, cause they say, ah yes, phrases used from 200 years ago, and the anime is set in the year 2205, but the gacha game came out in 2015, so therefore they're 2015 phrases. So respecting the elderly, Chan makes his grand entrance and says UK multiple times. Whereas as a god did us laughs at him and then goes, Ah, you have made me laugh. My, aren't you good at supporting the elderly? Our guilt-loving kid being oblivious to how condescending this statement was. Next half, there's a little sword practicing in the dojo and he records his PTSD about how his master died whilst holding him because he couldn't protect him. Bruh, you were an inanimate object. That's fucking on your master being shit at dodging swords. So it's that little sword, a buff monk, the guy with the gross security blanket he wears as a hooded robe, and blue sword, the center of the battle that little sword's master dies in. Remember that that's what they do. They fight monsters as significant historical events. Not just do cute shit at their cult. And Lil Sword wants to go and save his master. But Blue Sword tells him to have resolve. Because when Blue Sword first came to the Citadel, all he could think about was Okita. But then he remembered that it's okay because he has a new master now. So what you're saying, Blue, is that you got over the death of your master by chucking his significance to you underneath a bus, then moving on to your next master. Plus also, Akira actually, you know, fought and was cool. Your current master is a Hikikomori who's too fucking lazy to even leave their room. They live on a large private estate where they have plenty of room to move around without actually running into any adult responsibilities or anyone they don't know, and yet they still choose to just stay in their room. They don't even fight with you or have any skill set in fighting. How the fuck can you have as much respect for her as Kikas Okita, huh? Then security blanket kid is fighting so hard that his abs are showing. Like, I think he's just jumping and his top lifts up before he does a cool attack. But once that attack's done, next fucking shot of them abs are hidden away. Unlike Buff Monk, once his shirt comes off, it fucking stays off. Then after the battle, Blue Sword's like, Oh my gosh, guys, security blanket was so cute and cool. Like your team and complimenting Lucas. Fucking, every time he talks about Lucas, he's like, wow, he's so handsome. Like, yeah, I get it, Taemin. Lucas is hot. But like, you're going to say anything about his skill set? What he's like as a person? He's, he fucking remembers replay better than you do. And you're not even going to comment on that? 
episode 10. So, two of the Shota. Look, there is Tiger King Shota and then all the rest of them. They're like the same person to me. Are in the distressing social situation where their drop beat, dull bludgeon, weed smoking older brother has returned home. He's just there, lying on the ground, eating rice crackers whilst having some tea. Like, honestly, this is probably what their master is doing 24-7. They should be looking up to him for acting like their revered one or some shit. Lazy Ass Sword states the beautiful phrase that Lacking motivation is my special skill set. The Shoders are explaining that they live in a cult now and therefore they all have to do the housework themselves. And in regards to household chores, Lazy Ass Sword states his speciality is eating. This guy goes to the shitter and 10 minutes after that the Citadel is completely wrecked and the Shoders are freaking out about their serial killer brother in the making. When they go looking for him, the first place they look is the hot springs because where else is this lazy fucker gonna go? But then it turns out it was all done by a tanuki and all this guy did was give her and her baby some nice leaves to sleep in. Aww. A group of swords are sent to fight more of that re historical restoration army and Red Sword states, hmm, this is quite the strange lineup of swords. Is it? I mean, is it? Because I have no fucking clue. I have no idea who any of these swords are or what their historical significance is. I am so wide and lost. I feel like watching this is way more insulting Japanese history. But at the same time, it's swords, but they're hot boys. So who the fuck making or watching this show gives a crap about appreciating the history behind it? Mid-fight, that cunt with the really nice hair special comb from the Master Breaks. Why did he bring it with him in the first place? Like, as soon as the battle's done, it's cunt just there fixing his hair up? Some foxes come along and cause the swords to hallucinate they're in a nice warm cabin, including hallucinating, changing their outfits. Like, I don't know why they all wake up from the hallucination fully dressed when theoretically they should be naked. During their not real snug scene, Blue Sword thinks how nice it would be to have your own song last throughout history. You've been brought back to life 300 or more years down the track. Like, yes, you have obviously been remembered. I'm not sure if you're being dense or vain by not realizing that. Befitting his character, Lazy Ass Sword's ending song is slow and semi-country and just absolute fucking shit. Then we meet a new Shinsengumi sword, and this kind ain't shy. Like, his kimono's hanging loose so all the world can see his brick shithouse abs. Episode 11, old shithouse abs there, practicing in the dojo. And who comes along but the mullet guy, who belonged to a guy who got rid of the Shinsengumi. I think. I wasn't paying attention when the subtitles dropped that. And even if I went back and reread them, I doubt my understanding would be any clearer. They fight like real men and argue about which of their original masters was cooler. Elsewhere in the Citadel, there's a sword complaining about shithouse abs because he isn't the original sword. He's a copy of that sword. And that sword says, honestly, I couldn't fight alongside a copy and trust them. Oh my god, guys, it's sword racism. Now all the Shinsengumi swords in the Citadel and the mullet guy, aka their enemy, are teamed up because yes. Since they didn't get to defeat the demons at the end in the first step, they gotta go back and do it again. Taidas-chan states how the master has been watching Blue Sword. 
You mean she's spending all her hard-earned dollars to power up this little shit? Blue Sword's the captain this time round, which Red Sword is fine with. He finally got over being the centre of attention. The master was kind enough to give Blue Sword a little gift. A jack-in-the-box that's just a massive fucking punching glove. Because the master can't even be fucked enough to punch this kid out. So she's got to send out a jack-in-the-box to do it for her. They say it's to help lift his spirits and calm his nerves. You know what else would do that? Food. So how about next time you get him some nice mochi snacks instead of a punch to the face? Mr. Cool and Popular Sword going, and he gets ready via putting on a fabulous outfit. His hype man's even there to say, Yeah, you're looking fresh, fresh, fresh! Blue Sword puts his little Sakura hairpin in to remind him to chillax and not get too caught up with killing those monsters. Before they all head off, all the other swords see them off because it's the second last episode and the racist from before comes up to the shithouse abs guy and whispers in his ear as he walks past him without breaking eye contact with him. Well, you better not break during the battle. Now, the sword who had the racist, racist rant before is there, and when he sees his interaction, he looks relieved, like no kid. Even though you couldn't hear what this guy said, it was still incredibly racist. I don't know, maybe he was just relieved he didn't spit on him or some shit. The drunk gets wasted and someone tells him off for drinking when these guys are about to head off into battle and his response is, Hey, I'm not doing any fighting. Like, he's a depressed housewife who starts day drinking the second her sober husband leaves for the day. They head off and fight the monsters. Bloody brick shithouse guy basically dressed like Kempachi from Bleach but with more abs and more bondage. What a glorious show this is. They defeat all of the monsters, but Blue Sword gets held back and is there when the Shinsengumi arrive, and after his cute little hairpin is split in two, he decides to save Okita. Making the fight against the historical restoration army, he were also fighting to change history, aka have Okita survive, absolutely pointless! Even the ending's cooler to signify how hard everything gets in this second last ep, it's just a cool rock instrumental. Still with Japanese instruments, of course. Gotta stay on brand, even when things are starting to heat up. I was genuinely surprised with the amount of action in this last ep, since even though this is a show about swords fighting monsters in bitchy form, there's been much less sword fighting and much more everyone cooking and singing together and shit. Ooh, episode 12! It opens with the Shoders being too lazy to change out of their PJs. And one of them says, yeah, I guess you're right. It's not like we're master and are still asleep. Fucking this bitch so lazy she ain't even gotten out of bed yet. Everyone else is up doing chores while she's just sleeping away. Though honestly, she is a cult leader. And she's just acting like such. Some of the Shoders notice that Blue Sword has disappeared from the photos, and about 10 of these swords express how they have no idea what Photoshop is because they can't think of how it's physically possible to remove someone's image from a photo. So all the drunks are out by the Sakura partying, and they are there with some old ass karaoke machine. Like, this is a clunky VHS 90s shit right here. Like, that would be an antique in the 2200s. Technology would have advanced so much by then, probably wouldn't even work. 
That lazy ass sword stuffing his face with rice crackers. And when the shoulders ask if he edited the photos, he's like, Do you honestly think I could be fucked altering pictures? Or just anything in general? When Shoda goes and asks the racist in their room, it even has a big shiny that says authentic. And when the kid gets him to look at the photo, he replies, Ah, oh, yes. You look so nice and shiny in that photo because of your authenticity. Like, oh my god, this cunt's a straight up white supremacist. They ask the guys at the gym working out shirtless or sweaty and absy, huh? And then they ask the guys at the onsen, all wet and absy, huh? Because this is the last ep of a season, guys. They gotta squeeze in as much fan service as they can for the grand final, slash, they gotta keep an audience around for the second season. Apparently our SSA card is not only superior in fighting prowess, but in brains as well because he's the only one that suggests Blue Sword isn't in these photos because something bad happened whilst fighting the historical restoration army. Speaking of such fight, he's fighting all these hairy leg thugs going after Akita because his red sword breaks mid-battle. By the way, Akita likes super hot, like, ooh, no wonder you want to save him. Though considering this fight happened sometime in the 1850s decade, 1850s, I doubt there'd be many photos around proving it. Thought I would fact check Google this. And oh man, do I regret looking him up. There is one photo he looks alright in. The rest, When you Google image this guy in English, one actual photo of him comes up and the rest is just hot bishy anime drawings. Thought I'd double check his age, because maybe he was just older when he died. But no, he's just a 24-year-old who's been through shit from the looks of things. I mean, he did kill people for a living, so yeah, that'd probably fuck you up a fair bit. Because Akita has survived for longer than he should have, this fucks up history and creates high-level demons these guys have never seen before. This should indicate to Blue Sword that this is the wrong thing to do. And all he's doing is being a massive burn to his teammates. When the cool and popular bitch is fighting them, he's like, there's so much more to me than just being hot. And he backs this up by removing his nice coat. But then he's in a tight tank top and showing off his muscles like, no, that move did not back up your argument. That move just made you hotter. Red Sword eventually decides, after fighting all these massive monsters they have never appeared before, hmm, maybe Blue Sword needs a bit of help. So he goes to Blue Sword, they cry, they leave the scene, and Okita survives, and they have successfully changed history. The one thing they have adamantly been trying to prohibit this entire series. Like they just straight up turned into the bad guys and this moral issue is not explored nor discussed at all. They arrive home heroes and even though they're filthy villains and Blue Sword decides to just dick around in the past for 5 months. He says it's to become stronger, but it is totally so that he can have a breather from the weird cult he's living in and probably fuck a babe or two along the way. Like, good for you escaping for like five months. Power move to you. He returns, and Redso brings him a newly fixed hairpin and brings up, now remember you have to look cute for the master. Oh yeah, right there. That dead on cult leader behavior. Mullet guy. Think it was him. 
because fucking 30 of these cunts, leave me be, to commemorate this moment, has purchased an old 200-year-old camera with the master's money so that they're broke again. One. As if you'd be able to find a 200-year-old working camera. And two, fucking, if you just sell that anti-karaoke machine, you'll be rolling in dough. All the voice actors say the, this is the story of hot boyo swords. All fucking 30 of them. All fucking 30 of them reciting the same sentence at the same time. And just there reminding me how fucking many of them there are. And how hard it is to keep track of them all. And how stressful that is. And, uh, and that was season one of Hot Sword Boyos. Next episode, we will be continuing on with Season 2. This has been the Anime for Trash Dwellers podcast, Episode 13, by Insufferable Weeb, Insufferable Weeb on Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you if you listened. Bye!